Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. <laughs> it is a good morning. <laughs> it really is. Well, that's not just a superfluous thing that we say before we start the message. It really is a good morning. It really is the best morning. You know, today is the best day of your life because today you look more like Jesus than you did yesterday. Yeah, today you look more like him than you did yesterday. Tomorrow will be the best day of your life because tomorrow you'll look more like him than you did today. Because the Holy Spirit is transforming you daily from glory to glory into the image of his son. That's amazing, yeah. Because every single day is the best day of your life. See, when you have that attitude, then you go out and happen to your day rather than your day happening to you. You're not living for something, you're living from something. You're, as there was a time when you lived for love from people, now you live from love for people. Amen. There was a time where everything you did was measured out based on a response that you hoped to get. And suddenly you, re- you realize that you were given an immeasurable amount and all you can do for the rest of your life is respond to that love, not for it. That's amazing. Amen. That's something to be excited about. That's a reason to open your eyes every single day, and no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what's going on in the world around us. As the world grows darker, we shine even brighter. As people walk around more and more affected and impacted by what's going on around them, Christian people, people who are following Jesus, that walk with their eyes on Him, that aren't looking around and watching CNN to decide whether today is a good day or not, stand out more and more as light and darkness keeps separating and the gray disappears. You should be excited about that because you are called to be the light. It makes no sense for Christians to sit around and complain about how dark the world's getting because Jesus said, you're the light of the world. So no woe is me. No more, oh, it's just getting so bad out there, brother. Man, no, the worse it gets, shine. Because Jesus said, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill. No one takes a light, a lamp, and puts it under a shade. But they put it on a stand so that it shines and the world can see. God wants to put you on a stand. He doesn't want you to make your own stand and climb up on it and stand there and beat your chest. He wants to place you on a stand for you to shine for the world to see. That's Jesus that said that. Don't be busy trying to carve out and create your own stand. Just follow Him and He'll place you on a stand for the world to see. That's amazing. You guys live this morning? You guys awake this morning? Yeah, listen, if you, how many of you guys very first time ever coming to, to Outreach Church? Anybody in here? Yep. Thank you guys so much. Hey, we're really excited that you're here. We are. We are super excited that you're here. And just, just for those of you guys who are maybe are newer or, or brand new, um, just because you walked in a building that, that is labeled as a church, we don't expect that you act differently, you know, than, well, some of you guys need to act differently. And we're praying for you. But for, <laughs> but I'm saying, don't think that God is fooled or impressed by an act for a little while on Sunday morning. And don't think that reverence means walking through a door and looking like somebody hit you over the head with a bat as you came in. It's okay to smile. It's okay to laugh. It's even okay to respond. I promise you, you would, you would feel really weird if during the week we had a conversation and you just, you were talking and I just sat there and went, Eventually you'd say, or, or, do you hear me? And, and, and so don't, don't make us do that here. Like it's okay to laugh, smile, respond, cry, whatever it is. Look, we have emotions because he's an emotional God and we're created in his image and in his likeness. The very reason that you can laugh is because he can. 
The very reason that you can cry is because he weeps. The very reason why you have that joy is because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and the fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy in your life. It's not something we're trying to attain. It's something that has attained us. And now we're spending our lives discovering what it is to live as new creations and allowing the Holy Spirit that's in us to come out of us. Fruit was never meant to be put in a box and left on a shelf. It was always meant to be displayed and enjoyed. That's how a world that doesn't know him tastes and sees that he's good. They taste and see that he's good by tasting the fruit of someone's life who's yielded to him. And when you act patient in an instance where they expect nothing but frustration, and when you have joy in an instance where they expect you to be in utter despair, and when you're kind, when they would expect you to be angry, and when you're gentle, when they would expect you to be rough, a world that doesn't know him tastes and sees that he's good by the fruit that is produced by the life of Jesus being lived out in your life. That's what it is to follow him. That's what it is to take up our cross. Our cross is no longer heavy because the weight of sin, shame, and guilt is completely gone. We now carry the cross of righteousness, which means every day we're more marked by the understanding that we have of Jesus' righteousness than we are by the understanding that we have of Adam's fall. The the, the fall of Adam and and the obedience of Jesus are not even close to the same. They're not even worth mentioning in the same sentence. But the one that we have the most awareness of is the one that will rule our lives and is the one that will affect the way that we live and act and see ourselves. If you were born again into Christ, it's as if you were never born into Adam. That's why you had to die and be born again, not get in a wreck and be fixed up. It wasn't a crash and then a fixing. It was a death and a new birth. There's a big difference. we're going to take up our offering this morning. Um, um, one of the things that we have available now is we have a new website which just uh, launched a couple of days ago. You guys, we were looking at our numbers, like year-to-date numbers, and, and um, you guys realize that, that in the past, over the last year or so, we've had 27,000 downloads of messages in countries in Africa, Asia, Europe, South America, uh, North America, Canada, all over the place, that, that what God is doing here in, 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 our, in our little house here in, in, in Greenville, South Carolina, is reaching the world, and you guys are a big part of that. Because what happens up here is a result of what happens out here. That, that it, it, we're not, it, listen, this is not just like a few anointed people and the rest of us trying to catch up. It's a community of believers encouraging and spurring each other on in love and good deeds, like the Bible says. And so everything that happens is fruit of our lives. There's no credit, no glory for any single person. It's all because of the fruit of our lives. I, I had a while ago some people ask me if I would be interested in coming and pastoring a church in a place. And they said, well, we just love this, this, and this, you know. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's cool that people see things in you that, that God's placed in you and that they value it. And I said, you guys don't understand. I, I, I'm not capable outside of what we have here. That what you see when, when we come there is a product of what's going on here constantly. It, it's not... It's not something I am. It's who we are. And, and, and what happens here is a result of that. Everyone is included. And more and more, I want us to see ourselves that way. <laughs> Anyways, hey, we, we love you guys. But, but there is available now. If you go to ourishurch.net, you can go on. You can download messages. Um, you can find a church calendar. You can, um, you can get connected with our connect groups. If you're looking for small groups during the week, you can click on that. You can find out about youth or children's ministry. We have a what we believe that is really clear. It's not too long, but it's pretty encompassing of the things that we believe as a church. So if anyone's ever asking you, so what do you, what do you guys believe? They can go on here and they can actually read and see what we believe um, to be true. And... Um, and then also we have uh, online giving available for, for all of you guys that have been asking for that. Yeah. Hear me say this, please. Please never, ever, ever go into debt to give to Ari's church. Only give money that you have. 
I understand that people like to use uh, credit cards, debit cards, whatever, for the rewards, and so that's awesome. And, 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 and if that's what you want to do and you want to give online that way, that's awesome. But please, please, please hear me say this. Do not give money that's not yours to this church. We don't need it, and it's not good for you. Only give money that you've been blessed with. If you're giving money that's not yours, you're not even stewarding wisely because you're stewarding someone else's money and determining where it goes. It's not yours to begin with. You can only steward what's yours wisely. So please only give money that's yours if you're giving online, okay? It says that on there. Every time someone wants to give online, they have to read that before they can click give online. But I just want to stress that to our church. We we love the fact that you guys have asked for this. You can go on and do a one-time thing. Um, So if you you just click give online, Mark's going to just walk through it real quick just to show how easy it is. Um, You can do a quick give, which is um, no login required, just by clicking quick give and you just put in your information and hit give and it gives or if you'd like to you can set up an account it's where it says first time new user registration it takes like two minutes to fill out your information i would encourage you to do that because then it keeps a record of everything that you've given so that you always have a giving record at your fingertips um if you need it for for tax purposes like literally it just takes a couple minutes to go in and fill out all the information and then you're ready to give um you can set up recurrent if you wanted to if you're one of those people that's on a on a really good budget and Okay, there you go. And you fill out your information the way that you would like to give, and then you can give. You can use debit card. You can use an e-check to withdraw from your account. Anyways, a lot of people have asked about this. We've had people who wrote into the website and said, listen, we, you know, there's, a, there's a group of us out here in this state or, or over here in this place, and, and we, we listen to the message every week. We'd really like to give. We have no way to give. We looked on your website, and there really is no way to give. So <laughs> we set it up so that people could do that. But again, last thing I'm going to say, and then we're just going to pray over our offering, um, is this is please, please, please only give your money. Thank you, God, so much for who you are and what you're doing in our lives. We just thank you for your presence here today. God, we thank you for revelation that opens our eyes even wider to the truth of who you are. God, we thank you for for new life in Christ and what that means and that we'll forever be exploring just how much you love us and just who you've called us to be when you seated us in heavenly places in Christ at your right hand where there's pleasure forevermore. We thank you for that, Father. I just ask that you would bless every person that gives as they give, um, that our house, um, both individually and as a community, would be a blessing to this city. God, that, that we're blessed to be a blessing, that everywhere we go, the kingdom of heaven comes with us, that, that as we work in, on our job sites and everywhere we go, that we find favor with, with you and with men, just like Jesus did. We thank you to continue to bless every person here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So um, this morning I'm using a handheld because I'm introducing someone who's going to speak this morning and he, he wanted to use a hands-free. And I don't blame him, but greater love has no preacher than this that he would lay down his hands-free for another. So you know I love this dude. <laughs> but anyways, um, this, the, uh, the guy who's going to speak today is, is, a, is a great friend of mine and, and to a lot of people here at the South. Uh, we, I've known him for a long time, but we just knew who each other were. But, but God brought our paths together last December and... and um, and we became really, really close friends since then. We spend a lot of time together. Uh, we work out three times a week together and just spend time sharpening each other and, and going after God together. He's an encouragement to me as well as a challenge to me. Like I see his life and I see where God has shown him and the things that God's done through him. And it challenges me in the best possible way. Um, and, and so a lot of times people say, okay, well, I know, um, I, I know I've read about people or I've heard about people, but, but what does it look like practically? And, and, and how do you, do you actually get to that place of doing this or doing that or where you're, where you're comfortable with this? And I think he has an amazing story and an amazing uh, testimony of how that happens and what God does in someone's life. So would you guys just, just join me in welcoming and honoring Carl as he comes up and shares this morning? How are you guys? 
Well, I got a story. Um, my biggest problem that I have today is Roy said I have about an hour. So <laughs> if I get going, sometimes I like to stay going. But just bear with me if I, um, I think I, I think I do it, can do it. The Holy Spirit, I think, can, can allow me to get it through. But just it's a story probably maybe many of you have similarities from where I started, where I came from. But I grew up in a big family. I was number four from the top of, in a family of 11. And went to a church that was very traditional, very fundamentalist, very legalistic, and had a lot of rules, but a whole lot of fear that was bred into me really early in life. And um, my dad was a, a great guy, just a hard-working man. He owned several businesses and did really amazing things in the in the business world. And so, growing up, that's what I saw. You know, we went to church. It was something he dropped us off, and it was really long, and it was really honestly kind of boring and and um we had to tolerate i mean like four hours of it and he would show up for the last little bit like they did two messages he'd come for the last one and um so that's kind of my church experience but like he was a home builder as a side business and so when when i was seven years old he actually took me to work and dropped me and my brother off and we we were cleaning houses and picking up trash and so started actually had the ability to make money pretty young and um so we did that often. We worked summers a lot as kids, and, and it was back before cell phones, and really today you could not imagine doing that. You know, I have an 11-year-old son, and I could never dream of taking him out to some random job site like 40 minutes from home and just leaving him, say, I'll see you in about four hours, six hours, you know. And, and there was no cell phones, no beepers, and he may get tied up. So there was times when we actually would be there all day. We would just kind of bend for ourselves and had a lot of fun. But um, one thing that came with it, with, with earning money, I actually... Um, got tested in the area of managing money. And honestly, when I was a kid, I was really poor at it. When I got it, I usually had it spent. I had it calculated how much I had. When I, when I actually picked the check, he gave me the check. I already had it all spent. And so we had a big challenge there because my dad is probably the most um, frugal man in some ways that you'll ever meet. So my brother Jeff was a lot more responsible than me. He, he was always the more frugal saver. You know, he was a little smarter. I was more reckless and just, I wanted to have fun. So with that, going through life in them, that age group from 7 to 11, 12, 13, you know, my dad actually started taking my money. He'd be like, look, I'm going to steward it for you because you're so poor at it. And he'd actually hold it. If I wanted to buy something, he would um, say, just come see me and we'll approve the purchase. Make sure it's something smart because I don't know if you guys have ever done anything where you've bought it and then had buyer's remorse. You know, so that's a little bit of my background. Um, my story has a few things in it, and I, I really am just listening to the Holy Spirit to see where I need to touch. But I, there's two things in my life that have been a big part of it, and I really feel where I, where I am today, it's, they, they, they're really connected in a lot of ways. So I'm going to, um, at 11 years old, which seems kind of um, hard to believe, but uh, I was inter- introduced to pornography at 11 years old, um, one of my, my older brothers. I won't, it, he, um, he, him and a friend brought, a, brought it home, and we had forts, and, you know, they kept it in our forts. So I, I saw things that a, a kid that age shouldn't see. And, um, you know, take that, you throw that into a background of just real religious, strict religion, and um, this was the cardinal sin. So it was a real dirty subject. So something that I just kind of, you know, it was there, but it didn't really think much of it. But at 13, I um, was babysitting for a cousin, and her brother's like, hey, check under the bed. 
go in there, look under the bed. There's, there's something in there you need to see. And so like any kid, well, okay, cool. Let's, let's go check it out. Well, I go and look and there's like a big stack of these magazines. So which at 13 years old, 11 is bad, but when you get that volume and it's someplace you go every week, it becomes very available, very easy. And um, again, it's things that you shouldn't see. So throwing that in there, that started something inside. It was just a di- like a hidden secret that I never shared with anybody. I was, you know, and um, so going forward in life, from there as a kid, you know, growing up, you know, playing sports, doing things we do. Um, I was in a big family again in the middle, so I really felt like the way I was wired, I had to be extraordinary to stand out or be noticed. So that's who I was. I was kind of loud. I kind of did things probably more persistent than any other kid in our family. My mom would agree. She's an amazing woman, and I probably, she has gray hair, but I probably caused more of them than the rest of them put together. Um, but so at I, 15 years old in that rain, you know, again, we're still working, working a lot and lots of stuff going on. I was a very, had a confused view of like women and, or girls and like how that was supposed to look because of what I was exposed to. So I had a lot of girls that I guess I wouldn't, maybe girlfriends, whatever, but, you know, I was what you'd call, I guess, looking at it maybe like a player mentality. You know, I was, I was kind of uh, a kind of popular guy in school and stuff. And, and so I, um, I would basically, like, pull strings and get to see if I could get them to like me. And then if I could do that, then I would move on. And that's something I did. And it kind of played, played with that a little bit. Well, one time when I was 15 years old, I did it to the wrong person. I think if you mess around with sin long enough, when you mess around with people's feelings, you mess around with things long enough, a lot of times, sometimes they'll just jerk, they're just gonna, it's going to get you. And, and one time I was at a place um, where I shouldn't have been. I was, again, just out to have fun. You know, I didn't drink or anything as a kid, but, but I did. I, again, girls were something that was a very big deal to me. And so I end up at this party and... People were drinking. Like I said, I had no temptation or desire to drink. But I ended up flirting with this girl, and, and before you knew it, she played me. And so at 15 years old, scared, the deepest shame that ever could fall on somebody lands on me. And it was a secret. You know, growing up in the home I grew up in with the situation I grew up in, it's something I tried and I tried and I tried to share with my parents. I just couldn't do it. I remember sitting outside of their bedroom door at night and just weeping, just, just crying and sobbing, just wanting to get this thing off my chest, but just not having an understanding of grace and what it was like and, and knowing that if I had shared, it wouldn't have been received right. So it was just, it was a really troubled time. And, and so I really just kind of closed, closed it up inside and tried to mask over it. And, and um, Lars Gladdy, he was one of my best friends. So at that time, we started working out together. So this was a place where I had a an avenue of escape where I went and I actually decided I love being there because I knew who I was. I actually got strong and, you know, we did it together. Lars was a great guy. And, and so, like, I dealt with this, you know, it was just kind of buried and hidden thing that I just dealt with. Well, would that I believe this lie that because of what I did, I could never, ever have a woman that was worth having. Because of what I did, I was dirty, I was broken, I was tainted. That I could never have a woman that's pure, that, some, that God would never actually give me something that had value. And that this thing was so buried in me, I believed it with everything in me. So in my heart of hearts, I was like, you know, I can never really share this. And then one day I meet this girl who, who is now my wife. She's the most amazing woman in the world. But I meet her, 
you know, she was young. We were little, you know, we were kids. I was 16, about to turn 17. She was 15 years old. And I meet her. And for the first time, again, I didn't, in that time from between when I fell and when I met her, I didn't, I still played and I still pretend, I still did what I always did because that's all I knew. But she's the first woman that I ever actually looked at, the first girl that actually made me feel alive. There was something about her. I was drawn to her. But inside, deep inside, I didn't believe I could ever have her as mine because they said the minute that you ever share what you did, she won't be there no more. And so we started dating. I asked her on a date. It's the first girl I actually ever asked on a real date. And she said, yeah. And I remember, like, we went, and, um, and we went on this date, and it was the coolest thing ever because she was the first. You know, I had, again, I had hung out. I had a lot of friends, but the first girl that actually ate when I hung out with her. So, you know, so she was just really unique to me. And I want to say, I wish I could say that I met her and everything was just good. Which parts of it were, but she came from a similar background as me. She didn't know who she was. She had no identity. And so we made it about three months trying to be good. But, you know, when, you know what I mean? So, well, this thing happens when you're alone in the dark and you're doing all these things and you're, you're having fun and just you think it's romance because it feels right. And the next thing you know, like, we fell. And I still hadn't shared my deep secret, so now I doubled the anxiety and fear that I carried inside. And so together now we actually had this war going on. So, okay, we're never going to do this again. We're going to quit this. You know, we prayed like crazy. We didn't, we didn't understand the God we were praying to, but we prayed like crazy. And we made all kinds of deals that God, if this, you know, because we were afraid that she was pregnant. We prayed all this stuff. We made deals like, God, if this won't be, then we'll just, you will never do it again. We'll live the rest of our lives for you. We didn't understand what we were saying, but we meant it. Part of us inside, I think, meant it. And so we went on this thing, and we dated for a couple of years. And then, you know, like, she came clean and told her mom, because, like, she, her mom could see stress on her. And her mom came up, and she talked to both of us, and she said, you know, and I was, I was 18 by then, and, and she was 16, I think, or 17, or I don't remember the exact age, but she, um, her mom says to her, you guys either need to get married or break up because what you're doing, you're not doing. And so we said, well, we're going to break up because we're too young to be married. So for a week, we tried that. And I just noticed, I just decided during that time frame of that week, I said, I didn't want to be without her. I was empty. I just wasn't me. And so I tried hard to just be the guy I used to be, to be cool and just, you know, be loud and, and whatever I did. And, and, but there was a part of me that was just empty. And so I went back, and we, we ended up back together. And, and, and um, I remember just at that time I started to realize what love felt like, and I knew I loved her. And so I said, all right, I need to come clean. Like I just had a, just a holy conviction inside me. I so said, I need to tell her my dark secret. But again, on the other side of me, I believed that. Never. She's going she's gonna to say, no, I'm gone. But I remember it. We went on a date, and we come home, and I pull in her driveway, and I pull up, and I looked her in the eyes, and I said, hey, I need to tell you something. It's really bad. And so she looks at me, and I tell her, I said, this is what happened. This is who I am. I hid this from you for this time. And, and I was waiting for that gavel to drop, and she looks at me with tears running on her cheeks, and she says, is that it? She says, is that all? That was before you knew me. And it did something inside me. It was the first time I actually experienced real grace. 
and I grabbed onto that. There was just something special about this girl. So moving on, like we, we end up speeding it up. We get married. She was 17. I was, I was two weeks from turning 19. That's kind of funny, huh? The best part, I've been married to her for 20 years now. So we're two kids. We get married. I'm still, you know, I'm working and, and bouncing backwards a little bit. I worked for my dad still at that time. The market in New England in that time frame had completely tanked. You know, my dad was a very successful businessman, and, and this stuff kind of all intertwines, so forgive me if I bounce a little, but the market had completely tanked, and he went from being worth a lot of money to where he had a couple things where he had banks, where the banks called notes and absolutely pulled the rug out from under him. So basically he went from being very self-sufficient and worth a lot of money, so two bad decisions basically cleaned out everything good he had done. So, like, I was 15 years old at that time watching all this happen. So, and, and it, it was a real reality to me because he actually shared what the banks did. And it wasn't right, but it, it gave me a, t- a distaste for banks. And so, that, like, so I said, at 15 years old, it was kind of a college education that I had. But, so we're working, and he honestly, we worked hard. We worked harder than all of our friends, anybody. You know, we worked long hours, long nights, and, and like, of every five weeks, I was lucky if I got paid for one. He just didn't have any money. But our heart was we wanted to help him. So that was our life. I was dating during that time frame. Like I could barely, you know, I could barely, I always scrimp and save to have gas money and money for a, a date, you know. And, and when we decided we were going to get married, this was what it looked like. We're saving. She worked at Market Basket, and I was saving anything that I scraped. So we had saved up together for about a year when we had decided we were getting married. I think we had put like $4,500 in the bank. And on top of that, we actually had, I bought her a ring from, I made it better now, but I bought her a ring from, from, from a really, it was really, it was a pretty ring for, I guess, what I had. It was all I could buy, but I bought her a ring, and I remember proposing, and, and we do all this, but um, and we, we actually had a fairly decent honeymoon. You know, we went on a cruise, but, like, we had $4,500. We got married, and um, we actually had... I'm a big dreamer because I actually had the audacity in my mind. I believe that we can afford a house. And so my brother, long story, I said, I want to buy your house. He, you know, he had the loan. And so I said, so we, she worked at Market Basket. I worked and I was getting paid one, about one week out of five. But we actually lived there for almost a year. And we never were late. At the end of that year, we still had that $4,500. And so... But she actually says, you know what, babe, I can't handle this no more. I can't be here. We can't do this. This isn't living. We need to, move. We need to go somewhere. And that's when we decided we're going to move to South Carolina. We're coming down here. And, um, again, I'm a guy that I, I can see a vision, and I go after it. I say, I'm coming down here. I'm going to start a business. We're going to do concrete floors. I had poured three in my life. So even better is that she was brave enough to come with me. So we move here. And we start a business. I had a partner at the time, and we just started working. And, I, and the only thing I had this desire in me said, failure is not happening. I am going to make it no matter what because where I came from. It. And, again, I have all these insecurities that are still inside me. Again, I masked them well. If you saw me, you would never see it. But it was, I wasn't going to fail. I didn't care what it took. And so we come here, and, and, and I start working. I'm working morning and night. I'd see her. I'd leave at 6 a.m. It was dark. I'd come home at 11 p.m. It's still dark. She was in bed when I left, in bed when I came home. She lived alone for a long time. 
But again, it's a testament to who she is. She stood with me. You know, for them years through that time frame, I didn't struggle with porn. Exactly. I wasn't looking at it. There was no Internet. None of that existed. But I, did, I do say, like, we went to the beach or something, I would notice woman. So it never left. It was just buried. Well, around that time, we ended up leaving the church that we were attending to a little bit freer of a church. And God was just kind of prodding me to, to step out and, and start seeking. And, and so we're building this company. You know, we have a couple kids by then, I think, and, and, and this business starts to grow. And, and um, in that process, you know, success, a little more successful, then the Internet comes out. And um, the Internet was out. It was brand new. I didn't know anything about it. I still am kind of intellectually not there when it comes to technology. But one day I was mowing my lawn. We had built a house, and I was mowing my lawn, and I'm walking through the yard, and I look and I see a book that had, or a magazine that someone had discarded. And just as anyone would do it, I walk up there and I pick it up and I look and it's a porn mag. It lands right in my front yard. And so this thing that had kind of been closed off, you know, that was some years since I'd seen any. It, I'm presented with it. You know, I, I had it. I looked. I picked it up. I, I want to say, yeah, I didn't look at it. But no, I looked at it. I think I looked at every page. And then I threw it in the trash. And before the trash guy came, I probably went back and looked at it a few more times. But throw that, we end up building this company. You know, I, well, end up building this company. I had another partner at a time, you know, and, and we actually grew really big. We, had, we ended up with like 96 people on payroll. And, and um, you know, we were very well known. Like everyone in Greenville kind of, we had our pick of work. Like we, we were kind of almost... It sounds funny, but I'm just sharing my heart. Like, we honestly, we had free hockey games, any baseball game. We went and drove NASCAR. We had pretty much a little bit like a celebrity on a small level because of what we did for the local market. So, again, them years, I loved to be there. I knew who I was. It was kind of like lifting weights. I could go. I was recognized. People liked me. On top of that, I made money. So I was winning. It's so, like... Going through that whole thing, I got a wife at home. She's raising kids. Everyone at work loves me. Everyone at the gym loves me. I go home. She knows me. You can't hide stuff from a woman. I don't know if any of you guys have ever realized that. You can try. You can, you can try. You can mask it. But if anyone can spot it, a woman can spot it. And she, you know, she would call me on it. This, you know, like, you know, the one thing about working in pouring concrete like I did is I worked a lot at night. So I was very sleep deprived. I'd get up at 12 o'clock, go in and pour. I'd work an 18-hour day, come home, try to hang out with the family. About an hour on the couch, she's trying to talk to me. By the time, 15 minutes in, I'm out. You know, and this was suck. I did it for nine years. And, um, well, Internet came out and... You know, in that, I guess I'd end up at the office four in the afternoon, like doing bidding, and one time I slipped. So that dark little world just became something that it was very available. Nobody knew. It was something I could just get away with. Well, I had went to Promise Keepers because just in my heart of hearts, I was actually had a burning desire that God, I wanted to know Him. Even in the mix of the darkest place, every morning I would get up and I would get in the Word and I would read. I wanted to know Him. I wanted to know him. And um, I went to Promise Keepers, and I really believed that I gave my heart to him. And for a little while, I came home with fire. And, and, and my wife, she'll tell you, it kind of probably annoyed her because 
over the years, I'd come home excited. I'm an all-in guy, and I'd come home, and for a few weeks or a month, I was just, I'm out to change the world for Jesus, you know. And then work happens, life happens, and I'd get a blindside attack, and it would derail me. So I had, I had times when I actually would have periods where I, I felt some freedom and I knew something was there. I read a lot of books about how to get over this, how to overcome. I had accountability partners. I tried everything that they sell to get over this. You know what? And, and it didn't work. I make it six months, and the minute I thought it was free, and I start to actually, you know, I'm going to a church, you know, and I'm singing and I'm worshiping and I'm raising hands, and, but there was always a part inside of my heart that wasn't free. It was always that one little dark corner that the enemy would grab onto, and he'd say, you're faking, you're lying, you're not real. And so every time you see it, and I, you know, you know, and I saw real authentic freedom, at pieces of it at times, but, and, and I wanted it, I would step out, and, and you'd step for it, grab it, experience it for a little while, but always it would get ripped out. And um, moving on, like just going through that cycle, going through that cycle, my kids are growing. My oldest son, I think at the time when I started to really see, like, this is a big deal. If I don't get this under control, my whole family, I had two boys by then, but they're both going to deal with this because I'm allowing it to roam in my house. I just started to have a burning conviction in me. And um, didn't, at first, I didn't take it too seriously. You know, I didn't understand how to do it. I knew I wanted freedom, but I didn't know how to attack it. And like I said, so again, accountability groups, reading books, all this stuff, I tried it. Well, in the midst of that, I was actually... This business had got pretty big. And part of it, I started to say, well, if I didn't have all this stress or if I didn't have all this stuff on me from business, maybe then I'd be free from it. So I actually started thinking, maybe if I sell this, if I get rid of the business, then, then when that goes, then it'll go with it. So I talked to my business partner and we come up with this great plan. We're going to sell this company. And I come home and I tell my wife, I said, babe, I'm selling the company. We're going um, to be financially good. All my problems are going to be gone. She kind of chuckled, but I'm pretty bullheaded. She said, eh, that sounds good. So that's, that's what I went for. We actually put it for sale. It was quiet, but honestly, it was pretty wild because within, it was within 45 days, it was sold closed. And the dream that I had, this big picture dream that I had, that I'm, you know, it's gone, my stress is gone. I have the American dream. Every guy dreams of, I just want, if I just had a million dollars, I would. Anyone ever said that? I, I believed it. Everything in me, I believed it. I said, if I can just do this, I'm good. So we sell it. First thing I did, I didn't go to, well, maybe I did go to Disney. I think we did. <laughs> we actually took a trip to Florida with the family. We went camping. And for three weeks, I enjoyed exactly what I told her I'd enjoy. I was free. I had a nice, cushy job working for that company as a consultant. They paid me $100,000 a year just to tell them what to do. Company, truck, phone, insurance, I had it made. But three weeks in, I was like, I'm, like I just started feeling an emptiness. One morning I woke up. I remember I looked out the window, you know, I get up and stretch, and I look out the window, and I just realized, I have no clue who I am. Everything I'd ever put everything on in my life, I sold it. Someone else owned it. 
Now I was just there as a little voice. No one needed me no more. And I actually started to get depressed. And then I went on a little journey of trying to find myself. I tried all kinds of stuff. I had never drank. I was 30 years old. I had never touched a drop of alcohol. I went on a trip, decided, you know what, I'm going to try it. Did. I think I even got drunk. Laughed. It was fun, you know, until I woke up the next morning, tried to figure out why people find that fun. But I'm just, I'm just being honest. Is that all right? And so I, we had a great time. We go home. And I said, well, I'm going to, I start coming home with my wife. I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You know, I said, I'm going to, so I bought some, you know, you see these, how flip this house. I said, I'm going to flip houses. So I tried that, bought a few, hated it. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, I bought a framing company. I'm not a framer. There's not one piece of me. I've never liked it. So, but I tried that too. Again, it was just empty. I built some houses, silent partner. You build, I'll pay you build, sold them. You know, Hated that too. So the only thing that I actually thought I enjoyed in that time frame was I drank. You would have never known it. Outside, you may have heard of stories, you know. I would put my kids to bed on weekends and, you know, we'd just have a little party in the backyard. I'd clean it all up before I went to bed. I was responsible. You come out in the morning, you'd never know anything happened. You know, I did that for a year and a half. And one day I felt like God just kind of gently, I want to say he smacked me because that's what it felt like. And he said, what are you doing? I've created you for so much more. And it, it kind of sh- it shook us enough to where we actually said, you know what, we're going to get rid of some friends. You know? So we kind of dropped who we were hanging out with for a while and, and kind of shifted to a whole new avenue. I started reading a lot of books on finances and you know, I just, I need to do something tangible. And I, and I actually, by permission from the owner of the company, you know, I, I started another little business doing just really small concrete along all the lakes and, and um, start, started that. And I just loved it. I was built for that. That's what I felt. And, but with that, tying back in to money, when I did that, I actually went out and bought all new equipment, financed every cent. Trucks, trailers, I did. I just, the whole kit, looked, I had the most sweet setup you've ever seen. And, you know, started doing it and, Made a little bit of money, but, but I started to find myself, and, and um, that was in 2007. Well, bouncing ahead, I went through, we started, that was early 2007 that I started that, and I think it was October of 2007. Me, Kristen, and, and a few of our friends were at Peddler Steakhouse eating dinner, and, I, and it was raining, so I ran out to get the car. And as I'm driving across the parking lot, I don't know if you've ever been spoke to by God in this way, but it, it was pretty strong. He said, Carl, get out of debt. He said, sell what you need to sell. Do whatever you need to do. Get out of debt. She, I remember her. She'd come running down the sidewalk with a jacket over her head. She, you know, and I had pulled right up in there nice so she could jump right in. And, and she jumps in the car, and I looked at her. I said, babe, I said, God, just, he, he just told me we need to get out of debt. And she looks at me, and she says, okay, let's do it backtracking just real quick that was a really big deal for her to say that all these years i lost myself in this business all these years these years that i ignored her she um she 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 actually hated the business she hated my job because she she thought i just love money i love to be there 
and in her heart believed that I didn't want to be with her. That was never the case, but it was a miscommunication. So she would actually go. She had credit cards at every store in, in the mall, and she just she would shopping spree it because she knew it would make me mad. So we kind of like, I was doing what I thought I knew because that's what I taught was taught. My dad was a workaholic. I, I was doing what I thought. That's what men do. I provide. She takes you to home. We're good. So when she said that, she meant it because she had tears in her eyes. So we, we went home, and this is a big deal. We together, and this is what I felt, God asked us to do something. We're one. And together we actually got on our knees and we said, God, we say yes. Now will you bless what we do? It was very simple, very honest, and we say yes. And we went on a spree. We sold stuff. We took losses. I, I mean, I paid. I had a motorhome. I wrote a check for forty grand to watch that baby leave the yard. But it was instant. We didn't make it one week. It was, we were all in. We cut up every credit card we had. We just let it all go. And, and I'm going to be honest, and I share, and I hope you guys can just hear me from a place. There's no arrogance in what I share. I'm sharing something that a very big God did. And I think that everybody needs to grab hold of that. Because I owed, on that company, I owed $350,000. It was October of 2007. We said yes. And I, I can't explain it. You can look at my books. There's no explanation other than God. But we went to work, and things started to change. He started to open avenues and doors. And, and it was month, the first month, it was 20-something grand. Second month, third, every month it went up. It was just rolling. I can't explain it. Like, in that process, it took a year. October of 2008. I don't know if anybody, if that date's significant, because we saw a major shift in our economy in 2008. But I remember it was almost a year to the day. It was a Friday. I sent my last check in for $55,000. It was one year to the date. I sent it in. The following Tuesday, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac collapsed. I'm going to work Wednesday morning. The whole world's crashing around us. And I remember I, I, I hear this news, like everybody's panicking. The Dow Jones is diving and everything's going into turmoil. I remember such an overwhelming peace flooded through my body. And I was like, God, I said, I just looked up, honestly. I was like, thank you. Now what? And I want to tell you, and again, I'm sharing this from no arrogance, so forgive me if it's offensive, but I went through four years of business. The worse it got everywhere, the more he opened windows. He opened windows. He opened doors. He opened everything. I couldn't, everywhere I look, every year that company reinvented itself. I had, there was just a voice. He told me, do this. Pull away from that. They're not going to make it. Go here. Do this. Do this. Do this. This year I watched it. The profits went up. The next year they doubled. The next year they doubled again. The next year they doubled again. We bid jobs that nobody bid. People were starving for work. No one put prices on it. We're the only company. My, my guy, Greg, that did the job, he bid it. He says, Carl, you need to look at this. He was actually scared. He's like, there's this company from out of town that called me, asked me if I'd bid something. He said, so I told him, yeah, and then I forgot about it. And they called me there. It was like 2 o'clock. He said, hey, we need our price. He's like, oh, man. He said, I went through there and just, he said, I honestly just threw numbers that were way too high. I just knew we were covered. And they call him and said, hey, you were the only one that bid it. We want you to do the job. So that's my story financially. I remember telling my guys, guys, 
when anybody asks you what we're doing, you say, well, we're just working here and there, kind of keep it our own little secret. I remember having conversations with Greg saying, I don't know what God's doing. He's doing something. It'll make sense someday. And so I had this idea, I'm going to build rental properties. And so I started doing that. And I just said, he just wants to bless me. He wants me to retire wealthy. You know, that's pretty cool. And so putting it back in the other gear, that's the story of what I saw. That's the God that I saw showing me something and then putting it back into the um, area of the problem of my problem that I, I hid everywhere else. But that thing, the reality was it was still there. I see him working miracles all around me. Everywhere I looked, I see his hand move. There's one area Carl can't get free. And so I started to go after it. I remember I told my wife, I said, babe, my, my oldest son, I think, was 12. I said, just, I, I just, I got to know why. I can't get over this. I got to know why this thing consumed me. I got to know why. And so I said, I'm going to counseling. Strangely enough, I actually, I felt strongly that I was supposed to go to a woman counselor. So I went. And I remember going in there, and that side of this, it was still, a lot of things were right in my life, but that side, it was still dirty. And I remember going in there and thinking that this lady's going to look at me and say, you know what, you're just, basically, you're disgusting. You're a pervert. You're all this stuff. And I remember going in there, and she, um, she says, tell me your story. Well, I told her, this is why I'm here. This is what I want. She said, tell me your story. And I told her my story. And I told her about my childhood, I told her about my roots, told her what I was exposed to, told her. And there was one thing in, in there. She said, tell me about your relationship with your dad. Well, I realized, realized something. I didn't have one. And it reminded me of something else that I never put two and two together. I went back in the year 2000, and that time when I had went to Promise Keepers, where I really feel like I gave my life to God. And, and I remember at my parents' house one night, I was talking, just, just hanging out as a Sunday night. We were there just visiting with the kids. And... As I was there, I just started to have this burning hole in my heart saying that I don't know that man at all. I know he works hard, and I know he loves business, and if you want to talk to my dad, you talk to him about business. So I went home, and that thing, it really just got stronger. So I actually reached out, and I got vulnerable. I actually dialed his number, and I called him. and said, hey, Dad, I thanked him for everything good he had taught me. I thanked him that he taught me how to work hard. I thanked him for the education on teaching Cara how to manage money. And I th- thanked him for how he treated my mom because, you know, he did buy her flowers and he modeled that pretty well. I said, but I was like, Dad, I feel like I don't know you as a man. I don't know you as a person. I'd love to get to know you. And he's like, I said, well, he didn't say anything. My dad's kind of quiet. He's a little bit shy. I said, I said, I don't want anything. I'm not asking you for anything. I said, but maybe we could eat lunch. And he sat there a second and his response was, well, uh, no, I don't eat. I don't do lunch. And that was something I had buried, and I remembered it as I talked to her. Because when he did that, it actually confirmed the lie that I had believed my whole childhood. You're dirty. You're disgusting. You're not worth it. You'll never have a woman. That voice that spoke, you'll never have a woman. You'll never have anything that's of value. This is who you are. And for the first time, I put two things together, that there's something about a relationship with a father that fills that place of intimacy. And so I told this woman, I said, I don't care how much it costs me. I don't care how long it takes. I'm not leaving here until I'm free. And again, my wife will tell you, when when Carl puts his mind on something, there's not much that's going to stop it. 
I was going twice a week. I read book after book. Every single thing she told me to do, I did it. She had me convinced that if I could just reconcile with my dad, this will end better. So just forgive me if you think I'm going somewhere else. If you can reconcile with your dad, you'll be whole. I said, well, this is the only thing that resembles truth. I understand I really, there's a void here and it kind of makes sense. That looks like the answer. So everything in me, I went after it. This was a process. I went after it for two years. It wasn't overnight. I was in the Word. I was reading books. There were so many wrongs in my life that I made right, especially things with my wife. I reproposed. I did a whole lot of things different that I don't have time to share today. As he restored me, this was in the process of the four years of being blessed exponentially in every other area. I became a much better leader as I opened my heart. And let him come in there. I didn't have to be the best at everything, even especially with my guys. I was okay with them being better and being using what they had as their gifts to do what they were created to do. And all this stuff was right. I actually started taking the time with my kids to actually be a dad, like to do baseball games and, and, and all this stuff. So, you know, I mean, I was doing all the things and, and, and reconciling so many things. And I remember after a year, year and a half of that, thinking it was Christmas time. And I remember going into Christmas, I had so much breakthrough, and I saw, I said, I'm so close. I'm so close. I know this is it. He's going to, you know, I'm going to reach out. And he, I had this fairy tale painted in my mind. I said, he's, yes, I'm going to reach out. We're going to have this conversation. And I don't know why. I just had this view that maybe when all this was done, we're going fishing. I don't even like fishing, but I had, this is what it looked like to me. But it's my, it's my fairy tale, so I can paint it however I want, right? Well, well, I, so I'm, I have this all set up and Christmas comes and, you know, we get together there every year. We have, we had a lot of fun. We played games. We laughed. We joked. We cried. And Christmas goes and nothing. And I come home and I was broken because I believe with everything in me, I'm going to be whole. This is it. This is it. This is it. And she looks at me and she says, why do you do this to yourself? Why do you keep setting yourself up to get hurt? He don't want what you want. And I'm like, I want to be free. If that's what's going to do it, then that's what I want. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care what I look like. I want to be free from this. I don't want to pass it to my kids. I didn't have the, you know, the way that God did this in me. I didn't have a church and an amazing guy like Roy speaking truth. I was in a community church where everything is painted is okay. Intimacy didn't, I never had seen it modeled. My wife, you know, I knew it purity there. But I remember I'm on my face and I'm like, God, this is, I knew this and I had been in the word and I've been crying out. I want a new heart. I want a new heart. I want a new heart. I want to see what you see. Why, why is it that actually when I look at a woman that it actually would, cause this to come over me. I want to see what you see when a woman actually would sell herself for someone else's viewing pleasure. Why would they sell themselves short? I want to see what you see when you look at someone that would choose that. That was my heart crying day and night and day and night and day and night. I was on my face saying, God, I want to see freedom. The word says who the sun sets free is free. And so that was my heart. I'm going after it. I'm going after it. I'm going after it. I remember one Sunday morning, I'm laying in bed and we're getting ready to go to church. It was 9 o'clock. And I'm reading a book. 
I'm reading a book, and I'm reading this book was, was about a man recon, being reconciled with God and how he, he brought healing to his dad. And in short, as I'm reading this, I'm reading this book, and I, and I have this. It was not an open vision, but it was. I don't. I can't describe it other than I had this. I'm sitting here reading, and I have Jesus Himself basically. I feel Him like take my cheeks, and He looks into my eyes, and He starts speaking to me. He says, "I'm your Father." I'm your father. I'm the only father you need. I love you. You're my son. He starts speaking life. And as he did that, I felt this overwhelming thing come through me. I've never felt it before. I started weeping and I started weeping and I started weeping. I couldn't stop. I was sobbing from inside. She was in the other room and came running. I couldn't talk. As he did that, I felt, I honestly felt it. It was like a hand came into my chest and I felt it. I felt my heart come out. And I felt him put one in. And she asked me again, what's, what's happened? What's wrong? I couldn't speak. When I tried to speak, I would weep. I would weep. I would weep. I didn't make it to church. <laughs> but I say that everything changed that day. He opened my eyes to what he sees. He lifted it completely. To where I look, I can't look at that. If they did it, I can't see what the world sees. I see what he sees. He sees a lost, lonely daughter crying out for the love of a father. No idea who she is. And all he wants to do is love her. All he wants to do is lift her up and say, you're my daughter. Let me make you whole. I thought that was pretty cool. That changed a whole lot of things. But how all this tied in with money, the next thing that happened to me is you know my story. You know he, there was blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And in that time frame, you know, I was never a greedy person. I gave lots of money away. In that, you know, I was very generous. That was my heart. But one day I'm driving down the road. I remember it clearly. I'm driving down the road. And he speaks to me the same way he spoke to me about getting out of debt. He says, Carl, I want it all. I want all of it. I want everything. And I wish I could say, well, eh, no problem. I'll be honest. I was like, no. I reasoned with him. I was like, no. I said, that's not fair. I said, you know how hard I worked. You know where I came from. You know what I walked through. I actually had the audacity to tell him that. You remember me downtown Greenville standing on this parking garage on a Friday night, getting ready to pour at midnight, looking over the wall at people stumbling around drunk. I said, they're playing. I'm working. Now you just want me to just give it all to you? He's like, I want to show you something. So over the next few weeks, he showed me. He He wasn't mad at me. He fathered me. Didn't feel real good, though. <laughs> but for three weeks, I mean, I grew up at seven years old. I'm going to work, you know. At 15, I didn't leave. I left that out. Me and my brothers at 15 had our own business. Like, we were entrepreneurs. We were going to change the world. So work, me and work, it was something I loved. But I remember the next morning after he told me that I get out of bed and I'm going to work. And for the first time in my life, there's not one piece of me that wanted to go. 
I had zero. It, like, I, I've never had mono, but I think, that, I don't know, I guess it would probably feel like that. I wasn't sick. I just had zero desire. I couldn't, it was a complete lie, but I had, I had 17 guys working for me. Jobs going, high-profile jobs. And I'm the guy that every day for the last how many years would come in and say, this is, I'm the visionary. This is what we're doing. When you're not here, we're going here. We had, and I come there, and I paint a smile on my face, and I get out of my truck, and I walk over there, and it was all I could do to stand there and to see what they're doing, to give them instruction. I couldn't. For three weeks, every day got worse. I'd see the news. You hear this thing, maybe, you know, you see the big headlines that, oh, so-and-so made this big contract, and the world's, oh, he's rich, he's rich, you know, and he started to show me what happens when we take money and someone that has it and we raise it up. I started to see what he sees, and it started to make me sick. And the more I saw it, the more I actually started pulling back. And again, my wife's like, what is wrong with you? What happened? The man she married was the hardcore, hard worker man. Now you're crying a lot. You're telling me you don't want to go to work. But it was like, and I didn't have, I'm going to a community church. I had nobody that actually understood it. So it's me, and I come home, and I share with her, and she's like, this guy's a whack job. <laughs> but one Sunday, her dad comes over. This finished me. And I'm not, again, I'm, I'm, sharing, I'm sharing what a father did to his son's heart. He comes over, and he's sitting on a couch beside me. He starts telling me this story about her uncle in Florida, super wealthy guy, great guy. And I'm not picking on what he did, so don't take it that way. But he, he tells me the story how he just put in this shooting range that was state-of-the-art. It would actually, it would, like a sniper range almost. It was so far all automated, some special backstop, and how he had bought two handguns that were 10 grand apiece. And, like, and he didn't mean it. It was just God finishing a project, actually, with the setup. But as he shared this, and, and again, he's like, that guy is so, again, it was a platform. It was worship. Not even intended. It's just the natural reality of the world we live in. People worship. And when, she, when he did that, I physically vomited. I had to swallow it. She saw me. She's like, she was mad. And I don't even know what she said. I, don't, I, I dare say if I didn't know what she said, I didn't want to repeat it now. <laughs> but he, he leaves. I walked in my bedroom. I walked through the door and I broke. And I went just like this. And I'm like, God, if, this, if that's what you see when you look at me, if that's what you see when you look at me, have it all. I want nothing. You can have my houses, my cars, my boats, my, all of it. I want nothing to do with it. And I can swear to you from the bottom of my heart, I was, re- I was willing to part with all of it because I want him. I don't want anything fake. He touched me. I saw reality. I saw what he sees. And then like a loving father, he spoke to me. He says, Carl, he says, I don't want your money. I want your heart. He says, there's something you've hid behind way too long. Your whole life you've hid behind it. Have it back. But use it for my glory. And so... The next little while actually got really interesting because I had to learn how to do that. 
but it was kind of fun. <laughs> I'm trying to decide. I had some, some scripture stuff that I, I didn't know if I'd cover, and I'm really just trying to listen whether I should. I don't know if I want to. I really feel like I just want to finish my story. There'll be another day later that I can share the other, and I, I just don't feel like that's for today. And so, this is something, I think, for everybody. I have something that's consumed me. It's wiped me out since I'm 11. I cry out, I cry out, I cry out, I cry out. He gives me a new heart. He gives me new eyes. The next thing he asks for, I want your money. I want control. Now I can say, don't take this in a condemning way because it's not. Whether you have a lot, whether you have debt, whether you have not. If we are controlling it, we're not fully his. That is a big deal to him. And he spoke to me, said, Carl, you will share this often with a lot of people. All these gifts, everything I showed you through these years, all these ideas in business, all this stuff, they weren't yours. They were mine. And I'm like, well, I know. He's like, but what? And going back, what I told my guys, don't tell anybody. Keep it a secret. He tells me this. I want you to share them with everybody, even your competition. I said, okay. And so it actually became fun. It became a lot of fun. And it's still a lot of fun. I've trained my competitors how to use my bid program. I don't say that. I'm saying it's not mine anymore. It's his. If he told me to do it, whatever that looks like, let's do it. That's my life. But, I, but there's, there's other things that I think I want to jump into just real quick. How much time do we got? I totally have no idea where I started. But um, <laughs> in, he releases me of money. Okay? Then one day... Again, I'm going to a community church, right? And I'm not picking on them. I'm just saying when you see real, counterfeit don't do it no more. When you see real worship, acting don't do it no more. There's a big difference. Big difference. Um, I actually, again, I had never, I, I had run across someone that shared Kim Walker Smith with me. I'd never heard of her. But when I heard her music, it made me weep. And so I was, I was actually working. I was at my shop, and I, um, I was Googling. I wanted to find some true worship music, and, um, and, I, and I Google search her name, and I see this video clip. It's big letters just rise up. You know, you, you know, in YouTube, you get like 20, 15 things on a page. I see this clip. It says, rise up. Holy Spirit says, watch it. It's a five-minute clip. This guy, I never heard of him. I'm sure now, and this was a couple years ago, so now everybody knows who he is, but his name's Todd White. And I, and I hit play, and I see this crazy-looking black dude, dreadlocks, all, you know, just, and he is the most exuberant, full of life, on fire, man that I've ever laid eyes on. He's walking down the street in somewhere in Pennsylvania, in the slums, the ghetto, the alleys, there's homeless people laying in garbage, and he's down there, he's hugging them, he's praying for them. And as doing that, he's talking and saying, 
this is what it looked like when Jesus walked. This is where he was. This is where you found. This is where you'd find him. And he's walking more and he's in his four or five. It says five minutes. He's preaching the gospel as he's walking, but he's demonstrating what it looks like. And he walks up to this lady and um, she's sitting on the side of a, a little brick wall. She's got crutches and she has something wrong with her leg. And he stops and he gets on his knees and he starts weeping. And he lays hands on her and she's made whole. That wrecked me. Something happened in my heart. I can't describe it except for it branded it and it lit it on fire. And then the last words he said, he said, look, guys, don't take my word for it. Go home. Open the Bible. Start reading the gospel. All of them. But read it, believing every word you read is true. And so I said, again, I'm a man possessed. I'm reading and driving. I'm reading at lunch. I'm alone a lot, you know, later in the day. I drive a lot. I'm reading at lunch. I'm, and when I'm not reading, I'm listening to podcasts. And I, 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 every single one I could find that that guy spoke, I listened to it. And all I knew is he said, you know what, you're supposed to pray for people. So I'm like, as I'm going, I'm like, okay, Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm, I said, I just, I believe that every minute, every day should be yours. I'm going to go eat lunch. Now, why don't you drive my truck? And so I said, just take me wherever. I'll go wherever. But there's surely someone that you, you want to touch. I wasn't praying for you. I'm just saying, this is just, I'm yielding to what I felt like was the reality of the gospel. And so this starts happening. I said, okay, I end up at places I never knew were there. I walk in. I'm like, okay, who is it? It was like hide and seek. He, I had to like do some, but it was fun. But every time I asked him that, day after day after day, I'd have an encounter. I'd watch somebody get touched. I'd watch him weep. I'd watch him be blessed. And it made that fire hotter. And so now she lived with me. It was a really hard time for my wife. So I'm so, again, so gracious that she's so strong. And um, so I, it was, I don't know, I, this time frame, it was probably a month that I did that. I, I, st- I started journaling a little after that, so I don't have all of them first. They're all here, but I don't. I remember one day I get home, long, you know, long day at work, I get home, and I'd always come home and fill her in with my day. And again, she thought I was further off than it was before. And, um, <laughs> and I remember I had put my kids to bed, and I'm, I'm getting ready to go to sleep. And I'm walking down the hallway to my bedroom behind the couch, and, and this is exactly what it looked like. I'm walking, and I'm talking to God. I'm like, God, said, I've read all of it. I believe all of it. Would you do it through someone like me? But as I did that, this is what it looked like. I said, would you use a guy like me? And I went to sleep. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, I got the fire scared out of me. (laughs) I was sound asleep, laying on my back. He spoke to me audibly. It was so loud, it shook everything in my body. I sat, I was dead asleep. I shot straight up in bed. And all he said was, I heal. And then I felt his hand that hit me in the, right in the heart. And it knocked me backwards. And I'm laying there like I just jumped out of an airplane. Like every hair on my body, I'm just heart pounding. And I'm like, okay, I believe you. <laughs> and he says, fast today and I'll show you. Okay, well... If you know me, you know my life. I lifted weights since I was 15. Fasting and weightlifting wasn't something that blended. 
I had been parts of churches that actually would do it, but uh-uh, I'll give money. Not doing that. But I was pretty convinced because of what he said and what he did to me. He said, okay. I had just read about a Daniel Fest, so I'll just go with no meat. I'll do fruit, vegetables, water today. So I go to work, fully expecting I'm going to see God move because he told me he was going to. So I had, we poured a basement on a house downtown. People lived in this house, and um, they were redoing their basement. It was an old house. The floor was all ready. We had poured a new one, and, and we were going to stain the floor, so we were doing decorative cuts like tile. And, and so I, um, I parked in the backyard, and, I, and I, I go walking in through the gate, through the yard, and we had to go through a window well. It's an older house. They had brick window wells. It was a double window. They had taken a window out. So I climbed down in, and I step in onto a ladder. And I look across the room. It was probably about 40 feet from me. Soon, I step on the ladder, and I look up, and I, there's this guy. The builder's standing by the set of steps that goes up. I had only met the guy twice. But right when I looked at him, he actually tried. He was trying to pick something off the floor. I don't know if anyone's ever pulled their back before, but he couldn't bend. And he was like, he's doing like one of those. And as soon as I see him, the Holy Spirit hollers, says, pray for him. And now I'm like, oh, boy. I said, oh boy, you know, I said, okay, you're going to have to show me how. Said, you know, I was a Lutheran. They didn't really go over that in Sunday school. <laughs> and so I lay out the cuts and we're, and, I, and I'm kind of watching to make sure he don't scoot off on me because I, you know, I, said, I was like, I, I, I had, I was on it and it was going to happen somehow, but I was scared. I was just nervous, you know, I had, and so I'm, I'm, I'm the whole time praying like, God, just show me how to, oh, give me an open, show me how to do this, show me how to do this, give me an open, give me an open, you know, he turns and says, well, i got to go. And he walks out and, and makes his way out the ladder. And I, I was done what I was doing, so I'm like, I'm out the door, you know. And, and he sits down on a planner, and I sit down beside him and just start making conversation with him just about life. Asked him if he had kids. He's like, no. I said, and, and he ends up, he had, they rescued horses. And my daughter has a horse, so we had something in common. So we're chatting away. And, and in the conversation, realized he's the guy's not a believer, but didn't go, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he jumps up. He says, I've got I to go to Home Depot. I've got to go. And he stands up, and he starts walking out the yard. But his truck was on the other side of my truck, so I was like, God, stop him at my truck, and I'll do it. And so this is funny. So I think when we actually ask God, and like when he invites us and we ask, he's just waiting and excited to move. Because the guy walks through the gate, and he, in this my truck's parked. He had to walk right in front of us. He walks through to the pastor front corner. He, st- he gets there. He stops. He turns and he looks at it. And then he turns and looks at me and he says, I love your truck. I just started laughing. I looked at him. I did. I just busted out laughing. He's like, what? I said, Dave, I said, this is going to sound funny. I said, but I'm like, God wants me to pray for your back. He's like, do what? <laughs> and so... I said, yeah. I said, he want, I believe he just wants to touch you. Do you mind? He's like, oh, no. He holds his hand out and it made it pretty easy. He's like, here. I grab his hand. I close my eyes. I just bless him. I invite Holy Spirit to come. I, like I said, I, this is me and God having our own private little schooling. And, and um, I pray and I open my eyes and I look. The dude's just weeping. He opens his eyes and he looks at me and he just, you know, big old guy. He's in his 50s. He just bear hugs me. He's sobbing. He's like, thank you so much. I so needed that. 
I'm crying now. Like, I'm on fire because, like, it's a pretty cool day. So, but he turns. He's like, well, I got to go. I got to go to Home Depot. And he takes off. He was pretty startled. Like, we're on a job site. You know, he didn't come to a healing service. <laughs> and so I'm like, hey. I was like, well, let me know. You know, I said, I'm learning something here. And all he says, he's like, well, I feel way better already. And he jumps in his truck and he burns out. And so I didn't see him for a month. A lot of other stuff happened. And I'm just trying to, this is just my story and how a loving God lit me on fire. And a month later, we went back to stain the floor. And he wasn't there when we stained it. We got all finished and, and left. And he calls me the, that afternoon. He's like, hey, the homeowner don't like the color in this front room. Can you meet me? And I'm like, yeah. It's the first time I've ever been excited to have a call back, but I was. So I go back and I meet him, and ironically, I step down the same ladder into the same room. He's standing in the exact same spot. And on the stairs, the stairs went up. This house was lived in, and they had, an old, they had a fridge. Well, they had made a platform on the stairs and lifted the refrigerator on it so we could stand under it. He turns and looks at the big green. He's like, man, just the man I want to see. Can you help us lift this? And I'm like, you sure you should do that? He's like, the homeowner and some other people were there. He's like, yeah, I'm good. And so I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll help you. you know, so we move it, and I met the lady. They all left. It's just me and him. And he's, we had put um, tape on the baseboard so we didn't get stain all over it. And he's peeling it off. On, he's on his hands and knees, like crawling. He's peeling it off, and halfway down a wall, he stops. Well, he was peeling it and throwing it to me. He stops, and he turns at me with a big grin on his face. He's like, you know, you fixed me. I just started laughing. I said, Dave, I didn't fix anything. I said, God touched you. He said, yeah, but he used you. And he stands up, and this, this just wrecked me for life. He stands up, and I see and he's a big old guy. You know, I think he's 54 years old. And he stands up, and he starts throwing his legs up like this. He's like... Back and forth and twist. He's like, it's like brand new. And I was like, I was ready to tackle anyone that walked by with a cane. I can promise you. And so my life, from that point, I learned there's one thing that to me is really, really profound. And again, it's not, it's something I think God is inviting us to. But one thing that stood out to me when I looked at that situation, he came he saw a son believing for something bigger. He saw a son going after something with all his heart. He saw a son stepping out and just blessing people. Then he had a son ask him, would you do it through me? His response was overwhelming. He's waiting to be asked. But he says, yes, but it came with something. And I think it always does. And sometimes we don't put it together. What did he tell me? He said, fast and I'll show you. That did something to me because his promise is, if we're hungry, he will fill us. If we ask, we'll receive. If we seek, we will find. If we knock, it'll be open. Well, you've heard enough of my story to know that when I go into something, it's, I'm all in. So I want to say, if it worked once, I'm going to do it again. 
And if it worked the second time, why? It just is something. I said, there's something about it. Because when you read on the Mount of Transfiguration, when they come down and they can't cast out the, 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 the demon out of the epileptic boy, they can't do it. He said, what is the, the, what's the recipe? This kind can only be removed by prayer and fasting. What does that mean? If, he, if you research it further, he says, what does fasting remove? Really, it removes unbelief. What does he say is the, the outcome, the recipe for anything in life? If we want to see something move, the key is belief. So, I just, he burned a fire in me, and there's way more that I could tell, but Roy's going to kick me off the stage, so I need to stop. But there's something to it. I won't share. All I'll share is, I own a gym. I train five days a week. I lift a lot of heavy weight. I do it because it's a lot of fun. I have a beautiful bride. And when she saw me, now this crazy man just keeps getting crazier. Now she starts cooking on a certain day, and, and, and she sees her husband's not eating because I, I read per, first, and I, I said, I want to make sure I do it right. So I'm not telling nobody. I need to tell my wife. Now I'm nice enough to tell her she knows that if I'm fasting, I want to tell her so she don't waste food. But um, her response was at first, and I'm not picking on her. I'm just saying, like, you're, there's human logic that we've got to get over in all things. But I think that God is so relational. He's so excited for, for us when we get hungry, when we want to see more, when we want to see him move. She told me, she said, you're going to wither up, and you're going to actually just blow away. You're going to get so skinny that you're going um, to fall apart. I laughed. I said, no, I don't think I will. I said, he told us to do this. And then he also says he's our provision. He's our everything. If we seek him first above all, all else will be added. I, I really just, again, what does it mean? If we believe, then all things are possible. So for a year and a half, I have fasted a lot. I've actually had some PRs in my list. I've gained three pounds. So is there logic in it? No. But is there in anything in God and in kingdom? No. And I think, all that aside, I think he wants us to get rid of logic. He can't exist. You know, all the teaching that Roy's been doing up until this point, you know, ushering in this whole thing on spiritual gifts and all this stuff, I really believe that there's one thing, one thing, if we get it wrong, it'll destroy it. In order for him to work correctly, in order for God to do it how he wants to do it, in order to do it the way Paul describes it, we must be transparent, fully his, and dead to anything that ties us here. What is the most, what is the most prevalent thing, really, that ties us to the earth? Finances. It's a big deal. Now, this isn't a condemnation. It's an invitation. I don't care where you're at. I don't care what your face was, how big the mountain is. He don't care how big it is. All he said, he tells me a lot of things. But his heart pleaded one thing. And that's for his people as a whole. All he wants is control. He wants us to let him in. He don't care. It's like everything else. If he made a porn addict right, if he can make a drug addict right, if he can make every other thing right, why would we say he can't make that right? All he's saying is open your hands. Open your heart to that place. Let me in it. And you'll never be in lack. That's his promise. If you'll open up to me everything, 
everything and let me bless it. It'll all change. If we believe. If we believe. I could tell you testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony about the awesome things I've seen him do. But I won't today. Because one thing I've learned, it's been a process that's been really hard. Roy knows a lot about me. I spend a lot of time with Roy. He's one of the most amazing men I've ever met. I love him. He's like a brother to me. But he's led me on a journey of dying, of completely dying. And he's inviting everyone there. But in order to get there, he has to have control. He has to. There's nothing we can hold on to, whether it's fear of not having enough, whether it's fear that you have a lot. He don't care. He don't want any fear. He don't want any anxiety. He don't want any stress. But as long as we do, and and we've seen the analogy a lot, as long as we hold on, he can't come in because he won't force his way in. He's waiting for a, will you let me? Will you let me love you? Will you let me redeem your finances? Will you let me redeem it all? The danger in walking into spiritual gifts, and I won't go much into your realm, but I just really feel like I need to just put one thing in there. The danger of walking into them and not having a surrendered heart towards money is when you look at them and you see when they're abused, they're almost the same. With finances, you have it's greed. It's a quest for power. It funnels every single addiction from porn to drugs to alcohol to gambling to you name it. It's out there. It all goes back to money. The root of it is pride. If you walk in the gift and you're not dead to self, I, I believe if you, if you don't give him access to that part of your heart, if you don't give him everything, you have the danger of it becoming about you. You have the danger of this gift is who I am, it's my identity. Let's build me a platform like Roy said earlier. Let's, let's construct this thing and let me climb on it and watch what happens. The enemy's crafty. The Bible says that you'll see both. That there'll be people pleading that, Lord, we did these things in your name. We prophesied. We saw the sick heal. We saw miracles. We saw all this stuff. What do you say? I didn't know you. They lack love. It was about pride. It was about a show. And what I, one thing I know, when we study any of the apostles' lives, we study Jesus' life, it was humble. It was quiet. It was never a show. It was pure. But again, his heart is saying, there's no condemnation in the message. And I want to say again and again and again, because so many people are afraid to open up and start talking about the things that's close. Let's be honest. Without it, we don't live. But I don't think he ever intended to avoid it. Jesus talked about it an awful lot. So I think I, I just want to just as we just as just closing it down, you know, I just I'm very grateful and humbled just for the opportunity to share my heart and to share what God's done in my life. 
and to just extend that invitation for anybody into that. If there's fear, anxiety, something about it, if it's an insurmountable mountain of letting it go, like you couldn't bear the fact of how to do that. I don't know how all this works, but I just feel like if anyone would like to, like to have prayer over it, that it would be open. Because when he gives, he, you know, he gives authority to his people to empower and to break strongholds. So anything that would hold us back would be a stronghold. So with, with that, I just, again, I just say thank you for listening. I give all glory to him, and I just want to praise him right now. Jesus, I thank you so much for this house. I thank you for the obedience of the leadership. I just pray a blessing over the people that everything that goes on here, that it would, I thank you that it's pure and that it's you. God, we worship you. We give you glory. We give you honor. You're amazing. You're amazing. Real quick, since I'm here, I really just wanted to, I know most of you know me, but I want to just introduce my wife because she's who makes me who I am. And stand up. This is Kristen. She's the most amazing woman in the world. And while she's on, my oldest son, Trey, just so you know, know us as a family, stand up, bud. That's Trey. My daughter, Cassidy, stand up, baby. And Kate, I just, I just am so thankful for my family. And I don't know, thank you guys. If you struggle with anxiety, with worry, with stress, with fear, there is something in your life that you're holding on to. If there, if there is that dark area like he was talking about that you just, you just can't seem to be free from. These are people up here who are trustworthy, who are loving, who would love to pray with you and pray for you in that area. And sometimes just talking to somebody about it and actually saying it breaks the power that it has because it's no longer a secret. The light comes on, the darkness flees. Darkness doesn't fight with light. Light doesn't fight with darkness. You turn light on, the darkness leaves. It doesn't get darker. It can't. And so if there is something that's, that, that you feel like is just there's a spot that's, that's holding on or, or, or that, that you've held on to, and you want to see freedom from that, there's going to be people up front. I'll be up front. Carl, our prayer team people will be up here. We would love to pray with you. We would love to agree with you for freedom in that area of your life. And we would love to see the secret power of darkness that's holding you back be destroyed by the light of God's love. So, Father, I thank you today just for, for moving right now in the hearts of people. God, I thank you that, that no person here will leave holding on to something that's holding on to them. But that our hands would be open, our hearts would be open. God, that every area of our life would be open to be flooded by the light of your love. I thank you for that. I give you praise and I give you honor for who you are and for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen.